0: Be gracious to me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the greatness of thy compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before thee. Before me, against thee, thee only, I have sinned and done what is evil in thy sight, so that thou art justified when thou dost speak, and blameless when thou dost judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me, and on, and on, and on, but as I said, I was giving an abbreviated message tonight, and I'll leave it to you to read the rest. But this is the urgent issue that we must face. How did David dare to say to God, against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil In thy sight. Did not David sin against Israel by staying home that day and lying abed until late afternoon and going up on his roof where he knew he would see a beautiful woman? Did he not sin against that beautiful woman by summoning her to his bedchamber? Did he not sin against her husband by arranging his murder? Did he not sin against the captain of the Lord's oath by ordering the captain to put the man in the most vulnerable position possible? Did he not sin against his wife and against his children by this adulterous act and this murder? Did he not sin against the nation over whom he ruled supposedly as a righteous king? How could he say to God, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight? And it's not until you understand that the great evil of all sin consists in the fact that it's against God. That you understand these words of David. Are you keenly aware that all sin is against God? I've already distinguished between fruit sins and root sins. I've given you eight statements about the nature of sin set forth in the New Testament. How deeply do you understand and how earnestly do you refuse to sin because you know that the great evil of all sin consists in the fact that it is against God. And the thoughtful person might very well ask, well, how is it that all sin is against God? Well, let's think now of that legitimate and significant question. How is it that all sin is against God? Well, do I need to mention to you that all sin Is against God's sovereignty? Have you taken seriously the sovereignty of God? I'm not asking if you made a big theological debate out of it, but does it profoundly impact your life? All sin is against his sovereignty. Now we live in a very disappointing nation. We live in a nation that built into its constitutional structure some very significant statements. For instance, many of us are aware of the Bill of Rights and aware of that portion that says, we have been endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, whether you think those are legitimate words or not is not the issue I raise. If it is true that we have rights and those rights were endowed by our creator, have you stopped to think that the creator cannot endow anyone with what he doesn't have? I look at this brother and I say, you, you, you were quite mistaken in not taking off your cap. That's a serious breach. It really is. But I'm going to overlook that serious breach. And I'm going to endow you with $10 million. <laughs> now, what should this fellow do if I speak words like that to him? He should ask, Does that old man have $10 million? (laughs) I cannot endow you with what I do not have. And God cannot endow us with what he doesn't have. He has rights. What are God's rights? If it is true that he endowed us with the right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What are his rights? Well, his rights are expressed in numerous places in Scripture, but the Ten Commandments provide an excellent summary of God's rights. He has a right to the use of his name. He has a right to the use of the days that he's created. He has a right to the gift of sex that he has endowed upon his creation, all of the commandments deal with the rights of God. And we ought to be sober-minded enough to realize that if we rob God of his rights, we rob ourselves of our own rights. And we are living in a nation that is destroying itself by robbing God of his rights You listen to the public media, you listen to the nonsensical political factions in the nation, and you get the impression that everybody has their rights, but nobody has rights that violate God's rights. All sin is a violation of God's sovereignty. He created everything out of nothing. Everything that exists, exists because he brought it into existence. And he never released his authority and his sovereignty to anybody. And all sin, little white lies... Tidbits of gossip, iniquitous thoughts, unrighteous deeds, it matters not. All sin is against God's sovereignty. Every single time you sin, you violate God. And have you weighed that? Does that grip you? Does it make a difference? In your daily living, is it indeed that which is at the forefront of your thinking? And so every day, oh God, I dare not violate your sovereignty. The most of the Christians that I talk to have never even had a sober thought like that, let alone determined to live according to it. Number two, all sin is a violation of God's nature. God, by his very nature, is righteous. There is nothing unrighteous in him. I find one of the most convincing arguments that Jesus Christ is truly the divine son of God is the simple fact that he lived on this earth 33 years and never sinned. I don't go 33 hours without sin. But does it grip you that God's very nature is so violent against sin that he will not tolerate it? And have you learned to distinguish between sins of the flesh and sins of the heart? And do you know that the sins of the heart are much worse sins than the sins of the flesh? And when you entertain thoughts that are in violation of God's sovereignty, even if you don't act upon those thoughts, you're sinning against the very nature of God himself and has it occurred to you that sin is not only against God's sovereignty and against God's nature but it's also against God's name i cited to the pastors this morning a passage from isaiah 57 thus saith the high and the lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Are you married? Yes. Did your wife name you holy? No. Do you know any man that God named holy? Uh, no. I do. His son. son. Yes. yes. But listen, our sin is a defilement of the name of God. When we call ourselves Christians and we show to the world that we are just like them, except we have a religious vocabulary they don't care about, we prove how inconsequential religion is in our own lives. My wife, to whom I've had the privilege of being married 52 years, has called me many very nice things. (laughs) But she never called me holy. And she never will. She knows me too well for that. But what about you? Do you recognize that when you sin, you violate the very name that you bear? And you testify to a lost and dying world that it's not a meaningful name that you bear, but one that you hope may be profitable to you in some measure. Number four, obviously, all sin is against God's word. This is why Nathan made it clear to David, you despise the word. Now, David was able to write some of the most magnificent psalms. And he even made statements indicating that he dwelt in the Word, and he loved the Word, and he feasted upon the Word; but when he sinned, he proved that he despised the Word of the lie. I' am asking whether these truths grip you, whether indeed they create a guard around your soul, so that you do not turn aside to sin. Uh, but you progress onward daily in the name of Christ in a life of victory and holiness. And need I add as the next point that all sin is against God's person? Now, I've just met this dear brother, but can you imagine me standing now in front of him and thinking to myself, I don't like this guy. And I ball up my fist. He he could knock me down in a minute, but he doesn't expect what I'm about to do. And I smash him in the face, break his glasses, and send a splinter of glass into his eye. And he loses sight. Do you realize that when you sin, you're showing that you despise the very person of Christ? That he doesn't really mean very much to you after all and surely you understand that all sin is against God's love. God knows perfectly well what a rotten sinner I am. I have entertained the thoughts of many mysteries in my lifetime, but no mystery has ever been greater than the mystery That God loves me. I can understand his loving you. And that's because I don't know you. But I know myself. And I wonder how can God love a lousy person like me? But although I don't understand it, I believe it. I know it's true. And when I sin, it's like throwing stones at the one who loves me. It's like persecuting him. It's like calling the world's attention to the fact that Jesus is to be despised by all and inviting them to come and join me in spitting in his face and trashing his name. Is that the kind of thought that you have when you sin? For surely all sin is against the body, and the blood of Christ. He didn't have to die for us. If he was willing to disobey the Father, he could have refused to suffer in our place. But he hung there without sin in himself, but with our sin upon him. And when we sinned, we demonstrate that we don't care anything about the shed blood and the broken body of our Lord. And of course, all sin is against the dire threats of scripture that warn us of the incredible dangers of sin. And we know perfectly well what happens in the life of the unrepentant person that in the end pays for their sin and Christ will not pay for the sin of the unrepentant. But because I felt I needed not to be too long tonight, I'll come to my final issue. Do you understand that all sin is against God's aspirations for you. Now I know that the word aspirations may not be familiar to everyone, but let me put it in a fashion that I believe that you can understand. Maggie and I have just two children, a lovely daughter who loves Jesus, (coughs) But she suffers from one of these brain chemistry problems. She'll never be normal. She can't care for herself adequately. And so my aspirations for her, knowing who God made her, are different than my aspirations for our son, We have only two, a handicapped daughter and a son. For many, many years, I prayed secretly for my son. My prayer for my son has been, Lord, make this man more holy, and more useful than his father. Nobody knew that I prayed that way for years for my son until on an occasion when I was on my way to teach in a seminary in the Orient. I had a long layover in Los Angeles, and I called my son who was living in Southern California, at that time, and said bob i I've got the layover in los angeles i'll be in and I name the hotel i don't know what your schedule is, but I'd love to spend the evening with you if you were free. Oh Dad, I'm so delighted I'll be there for sure and he came, and you can visualize the occasion. he's a grown man he's engaged in Christian ministry and he and I are having this heart-to-heart talk. And then somehow I just felt prompted, now tell your son what your aspiration for him is. And I said, son, I want you to know that I have been praying for years and will continue as long as I have breath to pray that you will be a much more godly and useful man in the kingdom than your father. This grown man sat there quietly, and then the tears formed in his eyes. And he said, Dad, I will never forget. And with some frequency, he provides evidence that he has not forgotten. That his father's prayer for him is that he'll be vastly more holy and useful than his dad. Now that's an aspiration. The earthly aspiration of a father for his son. But understand now, your father in heaven has aspirations for you. They're vastly more consequential than the aspirations of your earthly father. And when you sin, you make impossible God's aspirations for you. Is that what you really want? Do you want to hurl in the face of your father in heaven? I don't care what your aspirations for me are. I've got my own plan and my own purpose. Or will you acknowledge with King David that the great evil of all sin, consists in the fact that it is against God. And will you live with the intent of claiming in full the glorious work of Christ as justifier and sanctifier and eternal redeemer. As I said in the meeting this morning, it's late. It's very late, but it's not too late. And I can imagine in my own mind, standing before you tonight, a body of believers gathered here tonight, laying hold in full of the completed work of Christ and proving to a world that God is too great to sin against and demonstrating to a world that knows nothing of holiness that it's possible in this lifetime for men and women to live as Jesus Christ makes possible. And all the chains that will come to our dear land when the church rises up and says, I will not sin because all sin is against God.